0: Good morning. Please open up to John chapter 6 with me. It's page 891 in your pew Bible, I do believe. And while you turn there, um, I'm going to pray for our time together this morning. So let's pray. Father, I ask that by your spirit you would teach us. Um, We are here this morning Um, present, but maybe distracted. We are here this morning all coming from different places, different things going on in our lives, but uh, what is constant is you and your love. So however you see fit, Lord, I pray that you would encourage and challenge our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This morning we will be taking communion after I wrap up, and so I want to spend... Our time together preparing our hearts to take um, the bread and the cup. And so if you're following Jesus this morning, uh, let this time be, be a time of reflection, of confession, and repentance. And if you're here this morning searching and trying to figure out what all of this is about, my prayer is that you would meet Jesus this morning. If you open up your bulletins, um, you will find some notes that may or may not be helpful. Uh, Jesus is going to perform a very well-known sign, and then he's going to make a bold claim following that sign. Um, And following the claim, there are two responses, okay? That of the crowds and that of Peter's. One response is one of confusion. It's one where people had expectations of Jesus that were not met. And then um, one, the second one, is one of complete beauty, an acknowledgement of who Jesus really is. And so as we walk through this passage in John chapter 6, ask yourself, am I more like the crowds or am I more like Peter? Peter. Peter's response, which we'll get to, is where we're going to spend most of our time this morning, and from it comes the heartbeat of the message, and you'll find this line in your bulletin as well, and it's this, the bread of life has the words of eternal life. The bread of life has the words of eternal life. All right, let's dive in. John chapter 6. It's the time of Passover, okay, and Jesus has many followers, and these followers are hungry. So in typical Jesus fashion, he does something that isn't on the radar of even his closest followers. We're going to pick up in verse 8. John 6, verse 8. John writes, One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down. Notice, men, okay? The men sat down, and there were 5,000 in number. So most likely, much more than 5,000. Verse 11, Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12. Okay, real quick, we should instantly be thinking of the 12 tribes of Israel here. All right, 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. In verse 15, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. All right, Jesus takes five loaves and two fish, and from it he feeds thousands. As you can imagine, the crowds are amazed, and they see that Jesus is someone special, and therefore want to make him king. Jesus isn't interested um, in that because their vision of what a king should be and should do is much different than his. And so what does he do? He, He gets away, goes on a mountain, then casually walks on water like it's no big deal. And then we pick up in verse 25. Look at verse 25 with me. When the crowds found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. And so they said to him, then, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Verse 32, Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, It was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. All right, a few things from this section, okay? Jesus uses the word sign here, okay? Not miracle, but sign, And this is not the first time that this word has come up in this chapter. All right, Pastor and author Tyler Staten, when preaching on John chapter 6, says this, A sign is a miracle performed to reveal something true about God. It points beyond the spectacle of a miracle and instead points to a person. We'll get to what this sign is pointing towards in a moment, but Jesus points out why they're following him. He says, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Put another way, they're hungry and they want to be fed again. They're actually not interested in the signs because they're not interested in what the sign is pointing to, meaning Jesus. Instead, they just want to be fed again by Jesus. They've been given a gift and they want another gift, when in reality, they should want the giver himself. Is this us at any point in our life? Is this, is this you? Are you more interested in what Jesus can give you, rather than simply wanting Jesus himself? Do you come to him, do we come to him with our needs and wants, Like health, peace of mind, tension free relationships, or success for our children, rather than just coming to him simply because he's Jesus. Jesus deserves so much more than that from his followers just to get what they want. And why do I say that? I say that because of verse 35. Look at verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Skip down to verse 38. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but instead raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have what? Eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. If you're familiar with the Gospels, you know what happens next. The Jews get upset and they question why the son of Joseph can say these things. And then Jesus responds, verse 47, I am the bread of life. This is Jesus' bold claim, okay? This is the first of seven I am statements in John's gospel, okay? First of seven I am statements by Jesus in John's gospel. And fun fact, he also performs seven miracles or seven signs in John's gospel with the last one being raising one of his best friends from the dead in Lazarus. Seven is significant because it is the sign of completion and wholeness in Scripture. And this I am statement is significant because it takes place during the Passover week, where Israel celebrates their freedom from Egypt by having a meal that includes bread. Jesus' bold claim here is set at this exact moment with intention. He says, I am the manna from heaven that has been sent by my Father. The only difference is if you eat this bread, you will not die. But you will have eternal life. You will have life in the age to come. This is what the sign of the multiplication of bread is pointing to. That Jesus is the bread of life. The sign wasn't simply just a miracle to feed some hungry people. Jesus is the bread of life. If you look at the next few verses, um, they're a little weird for some, including me. Uh, He tells his followers to eat his flesh and drink his blood. Um, For sake of time and for focus on what I believe God wants to speak to us this morning, uh, I want to acknowledge that those verses exist. Okay, I didn't just skip over them. Um, but I have chosen not to teach on them. And so if you would love to talk about them afterwards, um, I would love to have that conversation. All right, but moving on, let's look at the crowd's response to Jesus' claim, okay? Starting in verse 60. Verse 60 of John chapter six. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus John then inserts one of his own thoughts here. He says, for Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And then verse 65, and he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. And then verse 66, a sad reality of this text and a sad reality for many of us. And our friends and our family. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. They left. They counted the cost, and Jesus wasn't worth it to them. They leave, revealing their true heart. I can just imagine some of their conversations as they walked away, saying things like, Who does this guy think he is? I liked him a lot better when, when he fed us and, and healed our cousin last week. But now he's just weird. Or, I can't believe that he said that he was the manna from heaven. This guy's out of his mind. It's hard for us to to put ourselves in their shoes because Jesus is speaking so much to their Jewish culture. But just imagine this imagine Jesus coming on the scene now and pressing on everything that you've grown up believing. Not telling you that you're necessarily wrong, but just asking you to think about it in a different way. That would be difficult. And it was for them, and and that's why most of them just say, I'm done. But praise God, not all of them. We can be hard on Peter, and justifiably so, but it's Peter's time to shine. Look at verse 67. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. The bread of life has the words of eternal life. Peter's response here is much different than the crowds. In the words of author and podcaster Sky Jitani, the crowds treat Jesus here as, quote, a divine vending machine, just interested in what he has to offer, but the moment that he demands something from them, they're out. But Peter, he recognizes who Jesus is, and he realizes he has nowhere else to go that will give him the life that Jesus has on offer. Most of us are probably somewhat familiar with what we call the prosperity gospel, This teaching goes something like this, you give $10 to a certain ministry or a guy dressed in a suit on TV, and God will return it to you in the form of, say, $100. Or the belief that God will always heal all the time, whenever you want. These people fly around on private jets, have social media accounts to show off their latest name brand shoes, and quite honestly, they're pretty easy to condemn from afar, like I am doing now. But I want to introduce you to another type. And that's what we're going to call blessing theology this morning. These people aren't giving an investment expecting a huge return. These people aren't flying around on private jets. These people don't believe that money given towards their ministry is a sign of God's blessing and can be used to fund their private closet. No, these people are just like you and me. Who believe that because we're following Jesus, we shouldn't get cancer? That because we're following Jesus, I shouldn't be in the financial situation that I'm in. That because we're following Jesus, my kid deserves to get into that one college. That if I do the right things, then blessings will come upon me. And I wish that I could stand up here this morning and say that that were true. But we follow a rabbi, a teacher, who suffered, who was beaten, and eventually was murdered. And so for us to think we're owed even just small doses of health, wealth, ease, and comfort in this life, unfortunately, I think we may be wrong. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount that rain falls on the just and the unjust, okay? But hear me correctly. I'm not saying that God looks upon us and wishes a life of complete misery and suffering. Okay, I'm not saying that this morning. No, we see in scripture that God gives good gifts to his children, okay? And we believe that. But what I am saying is that he allows us to not always get what we want in order to form us into people of love. Um, Elizabeth, my wife, and I struggled to uh, get pregnant with Noah our firstborn. And during that time, it became evident that I believed in what we're calling blessing theology, meaning that I was owed children. I did A, B, and C, and even X, Y, and Z. I did most of the right things, and on top of that, I knew that God was a good God. And so, of course, we shouldn't be having problems conceiving. In those times of sadness, of despair, of tears, I realized this. I realized that I wanted the gift, what God could give me, more than I wanted the gift giver, God himself. Church, Jesus is for us. He wants the best for us. I know that to be true. He just may have a different definition of the word best. What we think we need may not be the same thing as what he knows we need. And what we need is him. It's not primarily to be comfortable in this life It's not to always get what we want. It's not for our life to go as planned. Those things are great. I'm not down on any of those things. And if God gives them to you, then praise God. But what we primarily need is Him. And for Him to transform us each and every day to become more like His Son by the power of His Holy Spirit. And if this is what we need, then unfortunately... This usually happens through hardship and difficulty. This usually happens through suffering, through health complications, through infertility, through the loss of a loved one. Christianity, in my opinion, has the best theology on suffering. While many other religions think it's evil, and should be avoided at all cost, Jesus says that he will use our suffering for his glory and also to make us more like him, people who are marked by love, by joy, and by peace. I don't have all the answers uh, as to why this is true, but in my experience, this is what I've found to be true. And so if you're in this season right now, as confusing as it may be, know that your suffering, your hardship, your difficulty, it is not pointless. It is not worthless. That God maybe didn't bring it upon you, but he allowed it to happen. And that he wants to use it for your benefit and for the benefit of others around you. He doesn't want it to be wasted. And, as Christians... We know that one day we'll see him face to face. And in that moment, he will wipe away our tears and there will be no more pain. And we'll look at Jesus and realize fully that Peter was right. And we'll be able to say, you are the bread of life and you have the words of eternal life. So, to close, how will we respond? You may be sitting here wrestling with your life and the choices you have made recently or the choices you have in front of you. And my prayer is that you would choose Jesus. You may be like the crowds and have different ideas of who Jesus should be or have different ideas of what you want to do with your life. And it may not be suffering you're currently facing It may just be that you want to live life your own way and not under the authority of Jesus. You may be thinking some of these, for example. First, I want to get drunk tonight, and I want to get rid of this feeling of pain and suffering. But instead, I hope you say, but Jesus, you have the words of eternal life. Or I want to give up on my community or church because I am so frustrated with them. But Jesus, you have the words of eternal life. I want to blow my entire paycheck I got on Friday on things that I do not need. But Jesus, you have the words of eternal life. I want to remain angry with that family member who said that thing at Christmas. But Jesus, you have the words of eternal life. Or maybe this. You may say, I want to continue to live my own life. I want to be in charge and be my own boss. I don't want to believe in this thing that you call Christianity. I think it's all made up and honestly it's just kind of weird. And it's hard for me to comprehend how you can believe a guy who lived over 2,000 years ago is still alive today. And not only that, but is coming back to this earth. And besides, I don't have time to come to church or read a Bible or pray. And not to mention, I've been deeply wounded by the church. And also, I feel ashamed that, that God could never love me. If that's your story, I believe that God is smiling at you right now. And he wants to meet you in this space and say to you, I have the words of eternal life. Rethink what you believe and trust in me. Jesus is the bread of life. And he has the words of eternal life. And so as we prepare to take the bread and the cup together, Know that we do this in remembrance of him, Jesus, the bread of life. This is what Jesus modeled the night before he died that we read about in Luke chapter 22. His body, the bread, and his blood, the wine, or Welch's grape juice. As the Israelites were physically sustained by the bread from heaven each and every day, our entire being is sustained by the bread from heaven the bread of life, Jesus himself. And we are choosing to identify with Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, knowing that one day, get this, as he said four different times in this chapter, that we will be raised to life, to experience the full, abundant life in the age to come. And so if this is true of you, then please partake in communion with us this morning. And if you're here, and you're not following Jesus, and you are just wrestling with all of this, and trying to figure out what all this is about, you may let the elements pass in front of you. But if that's you, and you want to know more, and this is intriguing to you, talk with the person who invited you. Talk with me after our gathering together. Talk with an elder. Talk with a friend. Because Jesus is the bread of life and you were created to be sustained by him. Let's pray. Father, you sent your son as manna from heaven. The true bread of life that sustains our entire being. And so God, I pray that as followers of Jesus, we would confess and repent however you see fit. And Lord, if there is anyone in this room right now who has not yet repented and believed, who has not yet uh, rethought and trusted in you, I pray that they would begin that journey right now and that by your spirit you would speak to them. So Father, we love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.